If you like this podcast, please subscribe to be notified of future episodes. Welcome to Tenant Talk, where you'll learn how to maximize the investment in your lease space through conversations with today's top industry experts. Yes, leasing commercial space can be interesting and fun. And now, here's your host, James Collins. Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Tenant Talk podcast. I'm James Collins. I'm a commercial real estate advisor based in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and I specialize in tenant representation, can usually be found brokering deals for industrial and suburban office clients. And by way of background, I'm independently contracted to an affiliate for Cushman and Wakefield. And those of you who haven't heard of us, which hopefully is very few, Cushman and Wakefield is a global commercial real estate services company with 48,000 people working in over 400 offices in 70 countries. And this Tenant Talk podcast, well, it's kind of experimental at this stage, but with leasing and occupancy costs often being the largest line item for businesses after their staffing costs, it's vital that occupiers give their real estate as much attention as they do, say, their HR or their marketing, even if that next lease expiry is years away. The goal of the Tenant Talk podcast is to hold informative, casual, palatable conversations with industry experts to help them stay abreast of the issues and trends that matter to them. And these are trends that will ultimately help them lower their costs, maximize the efficiency and investment of their space. So we're going to start today close to home for the inaugural episode or 3,100 miles apart, however you want to look at it. Some more background. I now live in Canada, but grew up in a city in South Wales in the UK with an older brother called David. Now, we had a very good siblingship. As you can imagine, it came with all of the usual rivalries who would get to sit in the front of the car, who'd get to hit the button in the elevator. And then as we got older, who got the first serious girlfriend? And hint, it wasn't me. Now, ironically, neither of us live in the UK anymore. I skipped over to Canada, thanks to the girlfriend that I eventually found and am still married to. And Dave's love interest took him over to Norway. And perhaps even more ironic, and through absolutely no planning, I promise, is that both of our professional lives now exist in the world of commercial real estate. Therefore, of course, it's obvious that I have my own brother as my very first guest. And the topic today... Keep it really casual. Do we still need offices? Now, it feels very strange doing this to my brother, but I'm going to read you a little bit of a biography of him. I just know him as Dave. But to you, Dave is a PhD candidate in sustainable facilities management at the Center for Real Estate and Facilities Management in the Department of Architecture and Planning at NTNU in Trondheim. He's researching how users impact the sustainability of non-residential buildings with research interests in green leasing, corporate social responsibility, sustainability in non-residential buildings, building usage and sustainability, and a whole ton more. Now, Dave, if the satellites in the middle of the Atlantic there are working, I presume you can hear me? I can hear you loud and clear. Not that that's ever been a problem for you, James. No, no, we know each other very well. We go back well over 30 years together. (laughs) So I, of course, thought you were the ideal first guest here for the podcast. Very strange how our paths have ended up crossing professionally. And as we said, through absolutely no planning of our own. The goal today, Dave, we just really want to have a very casual conversation about this ongoing debate that you and I both hear, which is, do people still need offices? So I'm just going to literally throw that question out there to you. Do we still need offices? Yes or no? And why? Well, usually you start with the explanation and end with the answer, but I'm going to do this backwards and I'm going to say, yes, we absolutely need offices. 
And I think we're starting to realize it more and more and more. I mean, back if to go back into sort of way back in history, really, back in the 20s and a little earlier than that. I mean, people like Frank Lloyd Wright, uh, probably the most famous architect in the world, were really focusing on making fantastic offices, places that people wanted to come to work in. But also primarily, maybe even more importantly, what was considered to be the prime purpose of the office was to demonstrate the prestige of the company, be it a bank or a real estate broker, whatever. And then that very much became the way things were until the internet age came along. And then we sort of decided that maybe we don't need offices anymore because we can, you've got a laptop and you've got Wi-Fi and you can go and work anywhere. I mean, I remember once I wrote the, I was writing a paper and I wrote the introduction in Norway. I wrote the methodology in Denmark and then ended up writing the conclusion in Toronto all on the same journey. You know, that's a kind of idea that would have been laughable. 40 years ago now it's possible so we were beginning to think oh maybe we don't need offices because your office is wherever you lay your laptop that's your office but now things are completely changing again I mean I've been in this field now for the better part of five years and we found out that if you take people out of the office completely if you say okay you haven't got a desk that maybe you have an office with a staff of 500 people and you decide to only have desks for 250 because people are going to be away then what we're finding is that people just that, that natural collaboration that happens, that integration of your skills, those chance happenings in the corridor that result in you creating great things don't happen if you're away from the office. So I think the office is definitely changing. Our relationship with it is completely changing and it will continue to do so. But I don't think that manifests as the end of the office. Not at all. I just think that the office is maybe more important than ever because of the way we work. So let's take a look at uh, digital collaboration for a minute as well, because mm. when I have these conversations with my clients, often I find that the advent of digital collaboration means that they're shrinking their footprints. So if I'm picking up a lease renewal that somebody last renewed five years ago, and they were in 7,000 square feet. Often now I'm told, look, we only need four because the staff are not 100% in the office at the same time because of tools like Slack, Chanty, so those, those real digital collaboration mm. workplace tools. Then you've got things like virtual meeting platforms, uh, Zoho, Zoom, digital document sharing, Dropbox, Google Drive, OneDrive. Seems to be supporting an argument that there really is no need to bring teams into the same physical space what what's your take on this i hear this a lot and i go i travel all over the world and speak to people about offices and these sorts of things and you go to so many conferences and i was i mean the one that really springs to mind was EcoBuild, which is an industry conference in london one of the biggest in europe where they say you know we are going to change the way we work because we don't need to have a hub physical location for people because we have these collaboration tools and the, the argument very much sensed on do we need offices or do we need things like slack and bandcamp and dropbox the reality is that we need both of them equally i mean these collaboration tools do wonderful things i mean the, part of the reason is that in the world as it is today we have to think about something called globalization, and that means that no matter where you are in the world you could bring an element of that of your workforce into the same room as you through collaboration tools you most companies today really uh, are focused directly in one place they've often got offices everywhere in the same town country different countries different continents and it simply isn't feasible in Halifax, Nova Scotia, to bring your colleague from Singapore over for a two-hour meeting. It isn't feasible. So that is where these online collaboration tools are excellent. It's not just about sitting in a room with a camera and, and watching the other person the other end and having a meeting that way. It's the, it's the way that they've changed in the past sort of 10 years or so has been that you can write documents together, share documents, do PowerPoint presentations via these things. I mean, I, I take part in a lot of webinars and that sort of thing. And you can have whole PowerPoint presentations attached to these things. 
things. So you need these collaboration tools. And at the end of the day, you need to make sure that the way that you work, the trajectory of your working day is as optimized as possible. And it's simply easier to turn on your computer and do work through one of these tools than it is to fly or drive somewhere. But what's even better is getting those people in the room. So for people who work in your town, and people, if you have employees that work within your area, to make sure that they are integrated into a physical space is even more important. Just the way that people collaborate when they get together is just phenomenal. I mean, I'm now, although James, I'm talking to you, the headset on via Skype, and we can talk as if you know you're in the next room. The reality of the matter is we would have a much better collaboration if we sat at the same desk because there is a certain human dynamic. I mean, my background is in the social sciences originally. And there is lots and lots of evidence to suggest that human beings just they just simply are more creative when they sat next to each other. So collaboration tools fix a lot of problems. They mean you don't have to fly people out there. It means you don't have to put documents in a jiffy bag, send them halfway across the world, have them corrected and have them sent back. They're fantastic, but they are not a replacement for an office. They are they're as much a collaboration partner as, as your suppliers are in their own way. So perhaps what I'm hearing here, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that the digital collaboration side of things, document sharing, virtual meetings, really should be an opportunity for companies to pursue growth in areas that they haven't been able to in the past, as opposed to being a reason for them to claw back on bringing their traditional core workforce, the, the nuclear workforce together. Yeah, I mean, what what it means is that if you have an office in a place that you can't easily reach physically, it means that that distance is eradicated in terms of your ability to work together. So, of course, there is the physical distance to get there, be it plane, train, whatever. But it means that if you want to meet somebody in real time and work on a document in real time and they're halfway around the world, the only limit is their ability to get up early and their ability to you know, have a good enough Internet connection. It's absolutely fantastic. In my own working life, I've done numerous collaborations using um, collaboration software. Either, you know, we've got one here called UniNet, which we use. I've used Google Documents a lot and Dropbox a lot. And yeah, I have a colleague from Denmark who I've worked with before now and that she's visited this week, but and that's been great. But, you know, she can't come here every week. So you have to find another means by which to do it. So previously, if you had an office halfway around the world, it was it was a totally different enterprise to an extent with a totally separate. And there was that distance and that time that it took to get things back and forth and to and to get things done. And now that's completely eradicated it. Once again, the key word here is global global but local it sounds like a fuzzy management word but it can completely change the way your business works and i think that it's opened up opportunities that don't exist i mean most markets have been reasonably accessible but to make them as accessible as the as the next street which is what's happened in many cases has given so many more opportunities for businesses to collaborate and most importantly create and generate revenue Okay, well, let's talk costs for a minute then. As I mentioned previously, real estate spend typically is the the second largest line item for any company after staffing. And one thing I notice again is a lot of tenants see the ability to not eradicate the office, but to to squeeze the footprint down as a way to no longer need to spend so much per square foot on space, to not have to spend on new office furniture, other amenities as well. That even little things like paying for for less coffee at the Keurig machine is something that's very attractive to these people. So what would you say to a company either considering sending all or a portion of their workforce home or putting them on some kind of a rotational working system? People that are arguing that the elimination of either a portion or all of their physical real estate is going to improve their bottom line. I think that that is actually a very reckless way of looking at things in, in many respects. So let's look at that hard line, right? The real bottom line of this. 
if you have less square meterage, in terms of your cost for your building, you physically save money, right? No matter which way you slice this, if you have less square footage, you've got less people you've in the building, you've got to heat it less. You've only got to turn the lights on in a small portion of the building. So in terms of the physical costs of running your office, yeah, it's going to reduce the costs. But you've got to pay elsewhere. It, you're not reducing the costs across the whole company. And the reason I said that it was a bit reckless is you will bleed the creativity and innovation prospects of that company if you don't have an office. I think today there is it, it, today with the information that we now have about how people work, it mean particularly in a field that's called knowledge management. And let's be honest, there's very few companies today that to a degree aren't about managing their knowledge, right? It's about getting the best people with the best expertise to meet your business needs. And you want to attract them to your business. And you don't just want to keep them. You want them to keep being creative. You want them to keep being doing what they do to the best level that they can. And for that, you need to bring them into a creative mass together. I mean, there is just so much research that's been done on this. It's one of it's one of those rare examples of sort of work theory where we nobody really debates it very much because you need to have a well-resourced and, 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 and attractive office space. I mean, the last thing you want to do is to have people that you desperately need go to your competitor. And it can be as simple as being a workplace. Now, you might people might laugh and say, oh, my goodness, you know, why would having a, a nice office be the reason to keep people? Well, there's a couple of facts. What percentage of your day do you spend with your spouse and what percentage of your day do you spend with the person you sit next to in the office? You spend the vast majority of your day with your co-workers. So the place that you work in has to be attractive. It's absolutely vital to make sure that those sorts of needs are met. And you don't want to make the office like home because that never works. But you need to have an office that keeps people there. I'll give an example. The first office I ever worked in, which was 10 years ago, I was very lucky. The first desk I had, I had a corner. So I had a nice window and it was at the back and nobody was looking over my shoulder. It was great, except for one reason. That out of my window, all I could see was five meters away from me, a multi-story car park that was three stories higher than my window. And in order to know whether it was raining or not, I had to press my nose against the window and look up. It was absolutely a miserable office to work in. And then I have the office that I have now. So I don't have a corner. I have my own office. But I look out of my window and I can see human beings walking back and forth. I can see the mountains. Of course, I accept that you can't manufacture mountains for, for your own building because they're there or they're not. But it's just a much more pleasant place to work in. But to go back to the point I was making about bringing people together, why do that? So I've already talked about why you should invest in an office to keep people in it, but why have it at all? The best business case that I can think of for this comes from the search engine Yahoo, which, you know, I think Yahoo was probably the first search engine I ever used in the mid 90s. But they heavily lost ground to Google. By the early 2000s, Yahoo was very, very much behind. And they were trying to work out as to why this was the case. Now, Yahoo very much had a focus on being a family company and being good to families. And one of the aspects of their business model that they felt was crucial to this was making sure that people could have their family life and work at Yahoo. And what that meant was you could work anywhere. So Yahoo gave you a laptop that they had real estate, they had offices, but not a desk for everybody. You were encouraged to work at home. And I even don't quote me on this, but I even think they subsidized people's Internet connections and things like this to make it possible to do so. But then Google were creating all of these wonderful products and Yahoo had to work out why it wasn't happening to them. And they found out that it was because Google had a lot of what was called the water cooler effect. So what they were finding was that formal meetings were producing very little in terms of innovative products and services. Instead, people chatting at lunch, 
chatting around the water cooler. They were coming up with all sorts of wonderful ideas off the cuff that were completely changing the way that this company worked. And Google Maps is the best example of this was that came out of a conversation between a few people talking about carrying large amounts of atlases on holiday and couldn't this be simplified? So then Yahoo had a new CEO in the form of Marissa Mayer. And they said that one of the ways they could fix Yahoo's problem would be to completely scrap homeworking, bring people into the office so they could have this kind of collaboration. And they did it virtually overnight. And I mean, it wasn't it was a very, very brave decision and it wasn't completely popular. And, you know, Yahoo are not as big as Google, but it did in the medium term help them because creativity is the one thing that you cannot buy. Creativity is something that is created and it's created Firstly, in terms of the people you hire, and secondly, fostering a laboratory for these people to come up with these ideas. And that laboratory is your office. And to touch on a point you made earlier about we, we don't want to ever straddle the danger of making an office too much like home. It might just be a PR stunt, but we've all seen these videos on YouTube and CNN of, of um, and I'm just going to use the word Google. It might not be them. There's many other examples out there of companies with everyone sitting on beanbags, movie theaters that people go and attend anytime during the day, children's playground slides, taking them from floor six to the office canteen, this kind of thing, trampolines outside. So how much of this is actually beneficial to the company and how much of this is, is gimmicky? I think that uh, a lot of the initiatives you're referring to are actually Google's head office. And they've got a, these wonderful offices, as you said, with bean bags. And I think what happens is that they don't try to make these places like home. They try to make them like playgrounds because children in a playground, they play cowboys and Indians and all sorts of stuff. And they want to get that kind of experience out of people in their office spaces. Now, you don't need to go as far as Google to do this. Some of the best offices I have been to have not had ping pong ball tables in them and they've not had slides. What they have had is, for example, most of the offices today are open plan. But what they do is they have quite quirky kind of thinking rooms for people that look a bit like a booth in Starbucks. Like what a, you break, want to do is, a breakout space, right? It's, that's exactly what it is, a breakout space. But I mean, a breakout space can be anything from a, from a little room with a table in it, or you can make it somewhere that's a little bit quirky and it's colorful and it's fun. Because what you want to do is you want to bring people out of the very sterile, stoic office space with your desk, with your office chair, you know, with your notice board. You want to make sure you can get people out, out of that and into something that is a, a bit more pleasant. And if you work for an office where either you're refurbishing that space or you're moving into a space that is going from from standard cell offices to open plan office spaces, then there's a really good opportunity to use some of that space that you're going to be reducing to turn it into some of these collaborative spaces. And they can be spaces people can use for a day or a week. There are even very extreme versions of this. If you go to, there's a software company called Valve, uh, who may who own the Steam gaming platform, in their offices, they have desks that are on wheels and people move the desks around and that's to foster ra totally organic collaboration teams. That's a little bit extreme and the jury is out over how successful that is for them compared to other methods. So you should invest a lot of time in getting these spaces right, but you don't have to go to, to Google level. You could do quite quite the same thing through much less cost. I think that the mobility is interesting as well to pick up on what you mentioned there about the desk. I've been working with a client in the digital marketing space who used to put all of their teams together 
depending on, on their skill set. So they would have all of their pay-per-click management staff in one area. They would have all of their graphic designers in another area. They'll clump together all of their user interface design people, all of their podcasters in one area. And when we looked at redesigning their office for their move that they've just completed, they said, you know, we've realized that putting all these guys together based on this skill set is actually a detriment and it's holding them back. So what they decided they were going to come up with were these really multifaceted workspaces that, that were fixed in terms of location, but allowed the workforce to move around. So if one day you have a user interface designer needing to discuss with a graphic designer and a web designer, then they can create their own little node and their own little hub in the office that day that brings them together. But then when that web designer has received his brief and and he just wants some time to work alone, he can kind of send those guys other ways. And maybe the pay-per-click design guy can go and work with the podcaster on something. So the workplace became a really malleable environment, even though they were still somewhat fixed to desks. So just really, I wanted to expand on your point there. You you can see some kind of a change in the shift of maybe not everybody existing in Google's headquarters, but definitely nobody existing in the 1970s style cubicle. Yeah, I think the office space you described is about as perfect as it's ever going to get with the knowledge that we have now, is make it that you have teams, but make it that those teams happen organically depending on the kind of project you're working on i mean this isn't this isn't something you can use for everything i mean you're always going to have an accounts department that maybe doesn't need to collaborate with anybody else and that's fine but if you work in the sort of environment where you would benefit from on monday working with one group of people and on tuesday working with another group of people then make sure that your office space is able to produce that i mean there are lots of ways this is being done i mean it's not just about open plan it's this you know hot desking is of course one of the latest attempts at this when nobody has a set seat and at the end of the day you put everything in a locker and then you come to work the next day and you take it out of that locker and hopefully that will foster that meaning that you're going to sit by the people that are right for you that day the research on that is very mixed at the moment. It's, it's been very interesting, but they found that in certain businesses, people still end up sitting in the same desk every day. But that maybe says more about the company than the format. But just make it that, as you said, like you know, old fashioned 1970 cell offices were about shutting the door and getting on with things. And nowadays we know that, as I said, that creativity is the currency of most offices and and the ability for people to feel like they can grow in some way. And that's only done by f- untethering people from those cell offices it's the only way to do it really and if you have enough money put in a slide but if you don't don't worry about it <laughs> i couldn't have one here on uh, in my current office It'd be six floors up and it would zoom me down into the busiest street in the city and i think i'd be dead from a bus <laughs> in about 20 seconds now i want to move us into, into a slightly different direction now maybe get into some more advice and give our audience here some real takeaways one thing i do as a broker every day is i make the arguments to tenants that we really must consider their businesses daily operations things like staff retention growth plans before we look at the real estate and that real estate is ultimately just the vehicle we're going to use to help them meet those needs now the point here is i tell them that they mustn't be looking for space i call it it's like toilet paper toilet paper is something we all need we have to spend money on it but we don't want to and i tell tenants who have the mindset that you know i have to lease an office it's just to spend it's a detriment it's a huge liability on the books i try to tell them let's try to work out space that can become a supporter and a driver of your growth, perhaps even the biggest contributor to it. We need to find space for them that's a true investment rather than just a a necessary evil expense. What are some things that tenants and occupiers can do to make sure that that space isn't just three grand a month that goes out of their books, but $3,000 of pure solid investment in their business every month? 
I think the first thing you have to do is you have to go into this topic with a completely different mindset and not think of it as toilet paper. You have to think of it as one of the most important investments that you will make is what kind of office you have. And it goes back to everything I've been previously saying about that people are better when they're together. Also, it's a part of the identity of your company. I was two years ago doing some interviews in the United States, uh, interviewing people that ran offices. And my opinion of those businesses very much depended on the kind of office that I went into. And you you instantly thought that a company was was more innovative and more interested in these issues if you went into an office space that didn't necessarily have a fortune spent on it but it was well designed and it was well formatted for that business and if i went into a dark dingy office space where the furniture didn't match and the corridors were narrow you kind of thought hmm you know there's something not there's something unpleasant about this so offices matter way more than most people think they do, mostly because we work in them so much. We kind of lose, I think, a bit of touch as to the meaning of them. Secondly, if you are the person responsible for procuring a new space, you have to first of all ask yourself to what degree could you spend 12 hours in the office that you're in, which is sort of, you know, crunch level time spent in offices. And what has to change about that space to make that possible and then accept that that will probably be the same for most of your employees as well. I mean, the cost of doing these things is, is so variable. You can have very expensive, you know, micro air conditioning units under each chair, which was one of the projects I've worked on in the past. Or it can be as simple as making sure you're no more than, than a 30 second walk away from a coffee machine. And that's another thing that people have found out is there was a study done in the UK. I forget the name of the researchers that did this about three or four years ago asking people what they what change in their working life would they most value and they actually said that having a better working space was more important than an increase in their salary there comes a point where the thing that will make you stay is going to be making sure that where you go every day is a pleasant place to go to as i said it doesn't have to be like your home you don't have to have a place you know you don't expect people to walk around in dressing gowns but it has to be a place that is great to work in so noise is reduced, but it's also got to be a place where people feel that they can stretch, where they don't feel they've got to be stuffy and have a tide and up to their necks. It's got to be the kind of place where people feel that they can stretch their mind, create value for your business and not feel stifled because of the four walls that are around them. So really think about whether you would like to work in that space and whether you could spend 12 hours a day in there. That's, I think, a really important thing to think about. The other thing I've I've told people in the past as well, there is really no shame in in not knowing what you want. The advances in space planning, and I just even look at our we're in Halifax, Nova Scotia, our city here, and some of the amazing space planners we have. A lot of people are, are aware that the workforce is changing. They're aware that the dynamics of the staffing is changing. They have an inkling, and and I've always supported this people's first instinct that they can probably squeeze their space footprint down and do what we call right sizing and, and save money. And that comes through making the space more efficient, but they really don't know how. And we have had huge success with tenants that have been looking at spaces, let's just say 5,000 square feet of office. And then when we brought a space planner in, they've made digital CAD models and then 3D renderings of the space. And they've designed it from a efficiency standpoint right down to, as you say, where the water cooler is going to go, where the door for the bathroom is going to be, where the coffee machine is going to go. And we've had great success with these tenants squeezing footprints down, sometimes from from 5,000 square feet that they thought they needed down to 3,000 square feet, purely based on 
connecting with the right professionals in the space planning industry that can increase the efficiency and save them money. So, and I'm wondering if you agree with this, that it's, it's actually okay for a tenant not to know what they want, because there are so many professionals out there these days that can come in, take the lead on that and design a space that will, I know I'm talking here from a cost saving perspective, but will also support all of the other benefits you've been discussing in the, the modern office. I think that accepting that you're not the expert in something is a sign of real bravery and a sign of really wanting to get it right. I mean, as I said, I've been in many offices where literally they've just shoved cheap desks in a room and made people get on with it. And they're horrible places to work. But what really, really beautiful, high performing buildings that have very low energy costs that I visited and a couple in Chicago particularly stick in my mind had spatial planners in. Even to the point that the one building I went to, before they'd even begun to build it, the planner met with the tenants. So they had a tenant before they began building the building, and they made sure that before anything was built, that space was planned out. And in my field, there are lots of different competencies. You know, I consider myself to be a researcher of the built environment, but I'm not an architect. And I have numerous colleagues. I have my colleague, um, Dr. Marie Ekstran, and she's a spatial planner. And to hear her talking about the same subjects gives a completely different perspective, particularly in terms of, I think, finding problems, which is what really matters, isn't it? At the end of the day, that you want to make sure that you iron out any problems with your space before your employees step in at the front door. And getting the right kind of person to do those kinds of investigations for you is the only way to do it. You know, I said earlier that you'd be reckless to uh, completely scrap your office or to really consider sizing your office down. But you'd be equally as reckless, I think, thinking that you know about how to plan your office. As somebody who runs an office or is a manager, your job is to be the best at what you do, right? But it probably isn't designing offices. So you get on with doing running your business as wonderfully as you can. And I think let experts get it right. Because five, it might cost you a bit of money and it might it's certainly a bit time intensive. But three, four, five years up the road, you'll be so glad you did it. And it's amazing how good the technology is with these as well. I've literally sat in meetings with clients who've been stressed about, okay, we bring a space planner in, but still I'm not good with plans. I can't look at a a CAD drawing from up above and and figure out how that's going to translate into me walking through the office. And then before you know it, the space planner has put a 3D rendering together. They've slapped a virtual reality headset on that client and my client is literally walking through their new space all the way down to the the logo being on the wall and on the reception desk. It, It continues continues to blow my mind every day how good all of this planning can get yeah i mean things like cad models are are fantastic ways of and bim is the other one we're now using you're building information modeling which is probably in the next two or three years going to completely change the way that, that we make buildings today you can you can go into an office maybe an existing building that will become your office and maybe they haven't refurbished it yet or maybe it's mid refurbishment and you can't look around and visualize it but somebody who is who is helping you design that office and uses things like cad can allow you to have a virtual reality walk through it and it'll be really really close to, to what it'll be like and the wonderful thing about these kinds of modeling is you can make adjustments there and then it's very it's much more difficult to to change things when it's built and i think to make these sorts of changes in early life cycle phases is completely changing the way that we work and it's just absolutely fabulous um we have a a, a building here in Trondheim. it's going to have one of the largest solar panels in the world it's an office building it's going to be energy plus it's going to produce more energy than it uses and you know three years ago nearly i I went to that building when it was a computer program, when you literally sat with a joystick and wandered around the office. And now it's it's far along being built. And it'll be very interesting to see you know, what it's, how close it was to that model when I eventually get to visit that building. We've come to the point now where 
drafting tables are becoming less and less relevant. That's the part, I think, of this process that is really winding down. Nowadays, your planner has to have computer design competencies and more and greater artistic competencies. But it means that you as an office manager who isn't an architect and isn't a spatial planner can really understand what they're getting themselves in for, for want of a better word. No, it's all interesting. Obviously, virtual reality headsets then are not just for teenagers and Xbox users. So we're going to study. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course, you're a gamer. I forget that. Just by way of background for our listeners, Dave and I have not lived in the same house for probably coming on 15 years. So I forgot that about you. You always were the gamer guy. I was the music guy. You were the gamer guy. I'm still rubbish at playing them, but I try. I'm not a good musician either, so we're even. So just taking a different change in direction here, open-ended question, keep it fairly brief. We're going to try to wrap up shortly. How do you see the traditional office changing over the next decade, and how do you think those changes will help or hinder the occupiers and their operations? I can see offices having much more technology in them, both environmental technology to can make sure that it's always a nice temperature, to making sure that you have nice airy bases to work in but also that i think that a lot of these collaboration tools would be greater integrated into the ways that we work i also think that we'll make sure that we have spaces that better foster creativity so breakout zones for people and i think also there'll be a possibility that offices will be much more flexible because in the 90s we were ripping down concrete walls to put ethernet cables in the internet sockets into offices and i think as things change because we can never anticipate what the future is we'll be much more dynamic in our ability to to change the office space because maybe in 20 years we decide that open plan isn't the right thing but i think because walls and things will be easier to move people it'll be much better for people to adapt to a changing working environment which only benefits tenants at the end of the day you can always then keep ahead can't you so that's what i can see being the main change We have a group here in the city who are one of the largest franchises in Canada for a modular office system. I took a tour of their facility probably two years ago, and I've since visited a number of offices that have used them. In fact, one of our largest financial firms in the city had their entire office redesigned by them. They go away, they they prefabricate the office. So the floors in the offices are raised, which means that cabling can be put into them before they ever leave the warehouse. Everything comes in a plug and play fashion, which means no trades are actually needed during the fit up. So you can ship any contractor who's put, put up drywall, the whole modular office system, and they They can build out 2,000 square feet per day. And the other beauty with this is they don't just have shutters and dividers for creating custom offices. But if you have something going on, say, a special project that would require a team to be isolated. So you want to bring a number of disciplines together. You want them to have a boardroom. You want them to have a breakout room. You can literally in a weekend unplug existing wall panels, take them anywhere else in the office. It's like Lego. And then you can rebuild the office according to the requirement that you need. And then when that special project is wrapped up and shipped off to the customer, you can deconstruct it and put the office back the way it was before so that the people can return to what they knew previously. And this isn't really a question or anything of you, Dave. It's just really the point that the flexibility of these office spaces is is crazy. And I think over the next, if you agree, the next decade as well, there is going to be a trend moving towards the office you've designed and the office you move into isn't necessarily the way it's going to look even down to the layout every day yeah i think you're absolutely right i think modular type systems are going to be what we're going to see i mean i say we're going to see it it's already there i mean i've been to lots and lots of offices that operate a similar system because you know maybe the business environment changes your staffing needs change or maybe even the use completely changes i mean in many respects a, a building that can be 
stand for a thousand years and be used for a thousand different purposes is the perfect kind of building. And I think modular type structures are going to be the way to do that. So I think, yeah, I mean, when I go to conferences and go to commercial events, yeah, I mean, that that's probably the single biggest amount of uh, or substantial amount of demonstrations I see is modular type systems from walls to sockets to anything. So no, I really think that is that will be for office design the, the single biggest change we're going to see in the next 20 years. Okay, and if you could leave every office occupier with just one piece of wisdom, what would it be? Or, or food for thought, just something to take away from this and discuss with their teams or debate with you and I that we're wrong. What would that be? Create the office that you want to be in. If you think about yourself, you will probably automatically be thinking about your employees as well. And remember, if you don't keep the people that you have, somebody else will take them off your hands. And you and the office is a way to make sure that transfer doesn't happen. I think it's Richard Branson who said, train people well enough that they can leave, but treat them well enough that they won't want to. That is wisdom indeed. So a couple of takeaways here, Dave. I've just been writing these down as we've been going. Tell me if I'm wrong. Offices must foster creativity. People's office matters more than they think. And really, I think what sums our whole conversation up today is that people really are better when they're together. Yep. And I think we're really at the golden age of offices right now. Offices have never been more important, but that means also it's never been more important to get it right. So don't just pick any old office. Pick the right office and the best office. And that doesn't have to break the bank. It's just about being innovative. Just to wrap up here, three questions I plan to ask everyone. The last band you saw? The last concert I saw was to go and see Kraftwerk in Trondheim, in the rain, in August. Hey, very nice. The last thing you bought, I'd imagine that wasn't too long ago and probably had liquid in it. Uh, I'm talking caffeine. (laughs) The last thing I the last non-liquid thing I bought was a copy of Dark Souls for Nintendo Switch. But the last liquid thing I bought was I last Saturday I bought all my Christmas beer. So I bought 15 bottles of Christmas beer that will last till Christmas, by the way. That's not uh, I'm not going to have I haven't haven't had it already. Tempting as that may be. It'll be gone this Sunday. Okay, and final (laughs) question. The the worst day out you've ever had and you're not allowed to say my wedding. Your your wedding was great. I got to embarrass you, James. I I was the best man. I got to give a good speech. You did. I think the worst day out was walking for probably an hour and a half to go and see the a museum in Finland to discover that it was uh, shut. <laughs> yeah, so Jen and I, uh, so my wife and I have a similar story. We once walked all the way across London in the pouring rain when a tube strike was on to go to the cabinet war rooms only to discover again that, that they weren't open on Mondays. Good. Well, thanks for answering those. And a big thank you, Dave, for for joining us here on the inaugural Tenant Talk podcast. One thing I'd like to give you an opportunity to do, I'm going to put your information below. I will be putting a link to your LinkedIn profile and also to your page there on the NTNU website. But there's a chance that there's some people listening to this that, that may be wanting to get in touch with you. Just give me a quick rundown of services you offer, consulting you do, and then we'll throw it over to our audience if anybody wants to get in touch. I'm always happy to answer questions on things that I'm interested in. So my areas of specialty are I'm one of those published authors now in the world on green leases and green leasing. So I know a lot about that. So I'm happy to talk about that. Sustainable facilities management, corporate social responsibility. Feel free to get in touch if you have any questions about those sorts of things. I also brew beer. So if you've got any questions about beer brewing, I can answer those as well. But that's not on my profile. No, good. Well, I would say get in touch about the beer first and then maybe the real real estate second. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Dave. And thanks to everybody for listening here. Hopefully podcast has a long life and we plan to continue 
hunting down and grilling industry experts on topics that are important and useful to today's tenants and occupiers. And on that note, my information is below. If anybody would like to uh, join us on a future episode, we're going to try and get one out every two weeks. And that schedule may change because I have a busy job and the people that I hope to speak to, I'm sure, do as well. But we will aim for every two weeks. And i just like to sign off by saying a big thank you to everyone for joining us here at Tenant Talk. Have a good day and we'll speak soon. Tenant Talk was created and produced by James Collins in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and announced by me, Bethan Screen. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to be notified of future episodes.